0: This is Metal Mike, and in this episode, I bring you hair metal, controversy, and conspiracy. Me and my associate Ryan bring you ghost musicians, shady business deals, impersonators, and high-level song thievery. Now, are you a fan of this podcast? Then keep the truth alive and consider being a supporter through Anchor. There's a link in the description below. Now, proceed with caution if you dare and check it out. Well, Ryan, welcome to the 80s Glam Modelcast, man. How you doing? I'm great, man.
1: Thanks for having me back again.
0: Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, man, I'm, I'm super psyched about this one. You know, uh, I'm a big conspiracy theory guy, you know, and it's I, not, not that I always believe the conspiracies, <laughs> but I always find, like, alternative points of view kind of interesting, you know, and oh, I also yeah. am huge into hair model, and I started to think, is there any way to combine these two worlds? So that's what we're going to try to accomplish <laughs> tonight.
1: All right. Well, it can, it can work, I think. I think so. I think
0: so. Uh, I'm going to just throw out a, a quick disclaimer. So, you know, the title of this video is, is probably very clickbaitish, right? You, we've got you in. We've got you uh, to watch this thing. Uh, none of these theories are our own. This is all just stuff that is out there that you've heard about message boards blabbermouth it's all out there and it's a lot of it's stuff that the bands themselves have claimed or people associated with the bands maybe you've heard this stuff before maybe you haven't this might just be a nice place where we can just kind of compile a lot of it Uh, i know it fascinates me i I think you kind of got fascinated by all of it and um you, can't, oh, yeah, you can't do it all, you know what I mean? So, like, somebody's going to come in and say, oh, you didn't talk about this. Yeah, there's no way. There's too much. You can't cover it all. And lastly, I'm not touching Kiss. Kiss needs to be a full episode <laughs> on its own because there's way too much about Kiss. Okay.
1: So that's Yeah, you know, I was going to say the same exact thing about Dawkins. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Some of these bands, man. Yeah, there's a lot. Motley Crue's another one. Like, I, I know we'll scratch the surface with Crue, but once again... Just read the dirt, man. It's it's all pretty much all there.
1: Oh, yeah. And all I could say in regards to all that is, I remember back in the day before social media, you know where I got all this information? Metal sludge. Metal man, sludge. And that thing delivered every day there was <laughs> some kind of new crazy rumor or crazy old stories. But, you know, it goes right along with the whole, like, you should never meet your heroes thing, mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. To be honest, sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I was just a fan and not an aficionado gotten yeah. both you know what i mean yep. and, and at this point it's like i think we talked before about how after reading the piercey book and this and that you go god they weren't even friends after invasion mm-hmm. and here we are rocking and i wish i could just kind of have that innocence and and rock with reach for the sky a detonator and be okay with it, not knowing all the dirt behind it but you know that's why we're such dedicated fans and the today.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, you know what, man, without hesitation, uh, I'm going to jump in with with my first tale here and, and uh it's it's Warrant, man. You know, I mean the the rumor, it's not it's not even really a rumor anymore. You know, what I mean, pretty much the guys right. in Warrant have 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 agreed that this happened. Bo Hill has talked about it, Mike Slammer has talked about it that Mike Slammer played the either all the solos and probably just the majority of the guitar on Dirty Rotten Filthy Stinking Rich and on Cherry Pop. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much out there. You know, you can look it up and, and yourself and check it out. You know, I don't, it kind of sounds like maybe the guys weren't really, or, or Bo wasn't really hearing it with what they were doing, and he brought in Slammer. Mm-hmm. Now, the crazy thing is, let me just read something that Slammer said. So he said, that was a long time ago, and I don't remember all the bands. But I did a lot of guitar work on the first two Warren albums. During those days, I did lots of session work for Bo. And some of it was as a ghost player, you know, don't tell anyone. So that got me thinking, man. I'm like, okay, dude. So we know the Mike Slammer thing with Warren. What else did this guy play on? So then when I started doing it, I'm like a a glam metal private investigator, right? So I I start looking up every album that Bo Hill produced, okay? And I found mm-hmm. something weird, man. So the, maybe so, this is one of my own little discoveries that, that I didn't find, you know, on Blabbermouth or whatever else. Midnight Dynamite by Kicks, and it yeah. says Mike Slammer additional guitars, and it sounds like he played on Walking Away and Scarlet Fever. So I'm not huge, cool. f- super familiar with that album. So this is just a few that you know about. What what are, what ones do we not know about that he played on? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, totally. And I love kicks and I never knew that I have all their stuff and that was actually my church album for a long time by them. So I'm surprised I never sat there and nerded out on the on the liner and discovered that myself. Yeah.
0: And I think a lot of things, man, as I go back and I, I try to think back of interviews that I've done with people, some things that they've said kind of reveal some of these things too. Like I like when I interviewed Joey Allen I mean, they were promoting like the the Cherry Pie tour. I wasn't going to be like a dick and say, "Hey, man, is it true you didn't play on those?" <laughs> I can't. I just can't do that. You know what I mean? It's just not cool. No. It's already been done. It's already been said. But you know, when I asked him what was his favorite album out of those first three, he did say "Doggy Dog." And once again, he might right. just like "Doggy Dog." But does he like "Doggy Dog" because he really didn't have much, you know, input on those first two? I don't know. It's something to think about.
1: Well, he had five or six years to practice guitar, so he probably nailed those guitars. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so while I'm on
1: the topic so of um,
0: Bow Hill, uh, one thing that he said was that, we didn't talk about Mike Slammer at all, but he did talk about Red Beach and Kip Winger, and he said that those yeah. were his go-to guys um, on projects that he did. So once again... Makes you wonder what albums are Kip and um, Rab on that we don't know about. Now one that is pretty much also, this is not a secret, it's pretty much established in, in interviews with Bo Hill and stuff, is that uh, Rab Beach played majority of the guitar on Twisted Sisters' Love is for Suckers.
1: Exactly, which was supposed to be a D solo album, right?
0: Yeah, so supposed to be a D solo album, and you know maybe those. It was just going to be session guys, you know what I mean, to play on it or whatever, because those guys weren't big at that point. You know, yeah, Bo said ninety percent of it was done by him when I when I talked to JJ French, he couldn't remember. He, he knew he played on some of it. So here's what I did. I went mm-hmm. back the other day and I listened to the songs. And, I, and if you like that album Go back and listen to the solos I think you can I don't think Reb Beach did all of them I'm going to be honest I don't think he did 90% of oh. them The way it said Because there's certain right. songs Like Hot Love And Love is for Suckers I know that's him It's not because it's like Shredding or going It's just kind of slick sounding You know what I mean? It sounds like him and then there's other songs. I want to say the song tonight, and even "Sleeping uh, Wake Up the Sleeping Giant." You listen to those solos, yeah. and they sound more old school, like kind of like Ace Frehley type of stuff. And if you go back and listen mm-hmm. to some of the previous Twisted Sister albums, that's kind of how JJ French plays, you know. And I know Eddie uh, um, I'm not sure. I like I said, I'm not. I don't sit and analyze guitar solos, but I could tell like a couple of them sounded more old school, and then the other ones sounded more slick. So I think when you catch those slicker ones. That's Red Beach, you know what I mean? But but I think those guys were involved, just, you know, like the Twisted Sister guys were involved with that album, but probably not as mm-hmm. much as we think they were, you know what I mean? So that's another one that people may or may not know.
1: Yeah. Well, listening to Mike Slammer play guitars on his band Steelhouse Lane, and he's got a band called Streets back in the day. Yep. Dude, those two albums are so good. They're so perfect. And I could see how that guy was hired as a session musician on several bands um, recording Studio sessions because, dude, I mean, you got the guys in, like, let's just take Warrant, for example. Yeah, I would love Warrant, we think they're carried, but I often think, like, man, how much time did you have to practice in the heyday when they were doing nothing but playing every night at, I mean, that's practice in itself, but uh, you know, doing the Sunset Strip thing, that's a a lot of social practice, if you will, besides, you know, sitting there and nerding out on guitar, so I could absolutely see it going that way and it probably worked out well i mean look at the solo for mr rainmaker dude Ooh. that's that solo's so freaking killer like i i don't know when i heard this kind of confirmed ish it is confirmed rumor about flame up playing guitars i went ah yes let's yeah. listen to mr rainmaker that guitar solo is tough mm. and it's awesome so i could see it totally happening there
0: you know what else is a cool one that stands out to me um, I mean, and I'm looking at this from a standpoint that Bo Hill's trying to get some hits here. Is sometimes she cries, man? Yeah. That's a good. That's pretty good uh-huh. for like a like hit oh, yeah. ballad type Absolutely. of thing. Yeah. So, so th- I think he's pro- That's what he's looking for. He's looking for some real catchy melodic stuff. And I'm sure, though, I'm sure uh, Joey Allen was competent. It's just that you know, at this point, Bo Hill is. You know, he's trying to. He's been through the mill. You know, he, he did rat. He did all these other things. He's looking for some big hits. So you can't fault the guy.
1: Yeah. Totally.
0: So man, th- throw me out some of the things you've been looking up. What do you got? Hit me with one.
1: Well, I hit you with another ghost musician. Let's talk about the Cinderella drumming saga. Oh
0: yeah, I, I mean, got this got, one
1: too. You got and there, there's some. It's not necessarily ghost musicians because they're pretty frank about it. But would they have Cozy uh, Powell? Is that who they had yes. playing? In, if, yeah, in, for in uh, Fred Curry's place. Yep. Poor guy. guys that were featured on the album cover and in the in the notes, and they just said. Sorry, kid, you know, maybe by the third album. And I think he did play on the third album, <laughs> I think. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there he was, kind of getting aced out on uh, the first two. Yeah. Um, so that's another confusing one for fans. Ted two seemed pretty legit to me, but yeah. there's just, just need about certain sounds. So there's another kind of ghost musician that I'm sure 10% of the fans out there know about. So
0: I looked this one up. And this is a question, I don't even know where, this is some kind of interview that somebody did with Long Cold Cold Winter. No, they did the interview with with Tom Kiefer. Uh, Okay, oh no. Did, Did Cozy Powell play drums on Long Cold Winter? Tom, he played most of the drums. Fred was new to the band. We had a session drummer on our first record and Fred came in and did the tour. Uh, Fred was very young. He came back in to do Long Cold Winter andy didn't think he was quite there. We had a couple of guys come in and he would shed it and worked really hard. He played on the next record heartbreak station and he did a great job. So so basically he's saying that, you know, there was a it sounded like there was a bit of a debacle. I think some guy named Hold on, I've got this written down too. Oh, R- Randy Court. So Randy Cortez. Now there's some rumors okay. out there. This is another one you this was actually strangely enough this was just on Metal Sludge the other day. Are there copies, supposedly there's copies of um, Randy Cortez's picture on the back? You know, there's like little squares of the guys on the back of Night Songs. So the mm-hmm. rumor is that there's Fred Curry's on the front, and then this Cortez guy is in one of the squares on the back of a, of a, of a limited run. But nobody can confirm this, so you know, who knows if this oh, is wow. actually true or not. Another thing. Yeah, was, I to look at my album. Yeah, you gotta see which <laughs> one you got. Now, another thing was Cinderella, which just look it up. They were supposed to do an album uh, in 1999 with John Clodner, there, the guy that you know brought Aerosmith back, and he actually brought oh, back yeah. Rat, and he brought back Great White. He gave them kind of like semi-major label deals uh, in the late 90s, and Cinderella was supposed to be yeah. part of that, and then something went wrong. Like I said, check it out, but. Uh, there was like three years where Cinderella were like tied up they couldn't do an album they couldn't go on another label but then that album never came out so um, Hmm. and that's kind of why Tom started to go the solo route at first because there was some kind of issue with Cinderella recording because of this litigation so there's a whole other thing man there was supposed to be a Cinderella album in 99 um, and it never happened
1: damn that would have been cool
0: yeah it would have been right
1: yeah I'll hit you with one that uh, show you you're wildly aware of, and that's the two Dio guitarists exiting. So, yeah. talk about Vivian living Dio and White Snake. And then Craig Goldie, you know, in, in his interview with you, he left us as a cliffhanger with <laughs> why he left Dio in the first place. Right. And he promised to fill you in at, at some point. And man, it left, I've listened to our interview twice, actually, left me on the edge of my seat because I was dying to know what happened because. Uh-huh. They were boys after that and you know we loved him and so the you know, the Golden King is one but you know, Vivian leading Dio is pretty uh public in terms of the disdain felt between the two. In fact there's that Dio interview from, you know, mid two thousands era era when he was asked about Vivian Campbell and he still had nothing good to say about him. So that's a real weird one. And then the whole white snake exit too looked like they were prepping them to start rehearsing for Slip of the Tongue, and Vivian came in with kind of a shitty attitude, and the just basically said, "Hey, bro, if you're not into this, you're out of here," and that was it for him too. Which is weird because Vivian is such a, a longtime member of Def Leppard, right. and those guys don't screw around, you know. And, and they love the fact that they're a brotherhood, and and he he stepped into some really big shoes when Steve Clark died, and. It seems to have been going great for the last 30 years. So Uh I'm confused as to why these personalities didn't work in Dio and Whitesnake, but worked great in Def Leppard. So, you know, that's your cue because you know the Goldie interview stuff way more than I do.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, it's, you know, there's definitely a lot of bad blood. I know, um, and it goes the other way, too. Um, Campbell said a lot of bad stuff about... um, deal before he died and you know and it kind of never really got settled you know that's that's too bad Craig Goldie though yeah and that honestly you know I'll be honest I've been pushing my podcast in a lot of these uh message boards and I think that one came up as well like what is craig goldie waiting for like but you know at a certain point no one's going to care you know too much time is going to pass and people aren't even going to know who yeah. what dio is you know if we wait too long but uh it's weird um, maybe he's
1: writing a book yeah
0: maybe he's writing a book but um yeah, it's really <laughs> weird. I don't know, and and you know, and you mentioned that he, they got back together and did it okay anyway. So yeah, like what what happened? And then obviously it blew over, and he came back. And there's the whole Tracy G thing. That was a whole other thing where Tracy G gets into detail how mm-hmm. he kind of got pushed out of the band because of the fans. The fans really didn't like him. The fans wanted to return to form, and, and he wasn't going to be part of that. He had the ability right. to um, stay on as like a second guitarist, and he did wanted no part of it. And in turn, that was where kind of how I kind of got introduced to Craig Goldie uh, to talk to him. He jumped right in on the comments on YouTube of my video and he said, Hey, you know, that's not how it went down. You know, we would have been equals. I was, I really wanted to play with him. So, you know, once again, with all this stuff, man, you got different points of view. Certain people remember it different. What's true? What's false? You
1: just, you don't know. Exactly. You got to remember, I guess, this is a business and these guys are trying to make a living, even though we're just, Big Ten fan, with it they had this is their livelihood, so they had to be a little bit of that mixed in there.
0: So let's talk about some controversy that surrounds the Pretty Boy Floyd, Leather Boys with Electric Toys album. So yeah, um,
1: this one this one runs deep. This yeah, is, this is some thick drama here.
0: This is crazy. So somebody told me <laughs> that that none of these guys. Played none of the guys from this is this is how this is how rumors start. None of the guys that are in pretty boy Floyd played on that album, right? It was all session people. I'm like, bullshit. I know Steve wow. Summers' voice, I know that that's him. So when I had an interview with Howard Benson, I kind of just you know tiptoed around it and I was like, hey, you know, do you remember there being any other guys involved? And he said that Vinny Chaz did not play bass on the album, uh, whatever it was. Wow. He just wasn't caught in it, and they brought somebody else in. They did bring somebody in to do all the background vocals, so which is not uncommon. They, that's that happens a lot. Uh, but Steve's and Christy Major's and and uh, the drummer is it Christy Crash or whatever, whatever his name, Carrie mm-hmm. Kane, yeah. I, can't, I can't remember, never remember his name. But but they said all those guys were there, and everybody played on it. So that's just this mild controversy the biggest controversy is that original guitar player ariel styles wrote all the songs now i had been trying to get right. i've been trying to find him i don't think that's ever happening but i tried to uh, so i've been trying for years to get christy majors and i finally got him and he I never mm-hmm. said, I never came out and said, "Once again, maybe I need to be more ballsy in these interviews." But I never came out and said, "Hey, did you write all those songs?" But in the conversation, he alluded to when we wrote those songs. I know that's sad. Go back and listen to it. I know he said, "When we wrote that, yeah. you know, we were young guys, and now here we are still playing it. We're older." So, the the vibe that I was getting is that he wrote those songs. And in turn, he's told me yeah. that he's written everything that's after it. Like the um Public Enemies album, he wrote the whole album. And there's a new Pretty Boy Floyd album that he wrote the whole album, it just hasn't been released yet. So to me, he right. is the primary songwriter. Now, you go back and you can find interviews with Ariel Styles, and I did find some and I've read over them. Just search Ariel Styles, Pretty Boy Floyd, you'll find them. They're all out on the internet. And he basically said that they stole pretty much all his songs and he received no credit for Damn. them. And, and remember, I asked you, I go, hey, I don't have my original Pretty Boy Floyd album anymore you see songwriting credits and and you could not find any songwriting credits on there right
1: no no i have the original record the vinyl record and i went searching for it and i found it and i looked for you and actually there is just a plastic sleeve for the record Mm -hmm. and they don't have the regular uh, you know paper liner notes with uh the lyrics behind it and everything and on the back there's you know a million thank yous and credits and there is no mention of them at all
0: right right so then I went back to an interview that I did with Mike Hannon of Salty Dog. Now, he played in the band Doll. Now, the band Doll, if you go back and you look, and the, it's Carrie Doll is the singer. And if you look at the Doll album, there is a song on there called Leather Boys with Electric Toys. Which is the same exact oh, yeah. song that is on the Leather Boys <laughs> Electric Toys by Pretty Boy Floyd. And now Mike Cannon, when you listen to that interview, he says, I was playing a lot of those songs when I was in doll those great songs that Ariel Styles wrote. So
1: it oh, wow. seems that, like... What, what year was that thing? Was that right before uh, Pretty Boy Floyd came out?
0: That was before Pretty Boy Floyd came out, yep. So... Jeez. You're getting Ariel Styles saying one thing. You're getting Christy Major saying one thing. You're getting Mike Hannon kind of backing Ariel Styles and saying, we were playing 48 Hours and all that stuff before Pretty Boy Floyd even existed. Then you don't see songwriting credits on the album. So, once again, not saying there's a conspiracy theory there or whatever, but hey, there's some weird coincidences there.
1: Yeah, that is weird. Which which member, was it, was it him that when you interviewed him you said, "Oh, welcome to the Age Glam Metalcast." You know, this is seemed like the perfect place for you to be. You know, and he was like, "I guess." Was that the one? <laughs> I don't know. He he was
0: he was super well you natured. Know? He he was he was, he had me laughing, and he was having a good time. So oh, good. Yeah, he was super cool. Yeah, you know, I mean, he, he might have started off like that, but I, I <laughs> don't remember. A
1: lot of them. Yeah, well, a lot of drama surrounding that one, man. And and they had a what? Bill Coin was their manager, wasn't it at the time?
0: He was he was their manager um, like in the '90s when it was kind of all falling apart. And what's like weird? That. So here's what's weird. So if Ariel Styles got burnt so bad, let, let's play the other side. Why did he come back to the band in around '91, '92? You know, weird.
1: Well, maybe he wanted to reclaim his I mean, the part of it. need to reclaim some stuff to make some money off of it.
0: <laughs> so, I, once again, I don't know if there's a lot of money involved with the sales of Pretty Boy Floyd. I don't know who owns that stuff. Uh, you definitely see mm-hmm. Steve Summers peddling a lot of reprints of this stuff. So, who owns the rights? I don't know. So, you know, is there money that he got screwed out of? Maybe Ariel Styles. I don't know.
1: Well, speaking of stolen songs and a lot of money to be made, the saga and the tales of Joel Ellis. <laughs> and his, <laughs> his, his claim that I'll be there for you, the mega hit by Bon Jovi off of New Jersey, was actually written by him in his band called Mary Hoax. Yeah. And... I read about it recently, and I heard about this years ago. He'd come after him pretty hard, I think, Mm -hmm. Um, but the story goes, his band was was recording, and obviously they were just doing rough demos, and they had a cassette tape, and the cassette had, I'll be there for you on it. And so Joel and his bandmates went down to the Rainbow, and they liked to, uh, to test their material out by asking the guys there to play it over the sound system, to see how the crowd reacts. And, uh, which, funny, funny enough, that was Bon Jovi's, um, I think they called it the, the the pizza parlor test to take their new songs to the local pizza parlor back in the day and <laughs> play it and watch the kids and see who, what songs they react to. So, this is probably pretty convenient for Alice to be telling that story. But he took it down there and there sat, you know, a few rock stars, Sam Kinison and these guys, and they're playing it in the, there was a connection between the Bon Jovi guys, um, someone who managed them, I believe, and the group. And they said, oh man, that's a great song. Let me take this cassette back to my boys in, in the Bon Jovi camp, and see what we could do for you guys. Well, next thing you know, the cassette disappears, Joe Ellis never hears from this guy again, and Bon Jovi releases the huge hit, I'll be there for you. Mm-hmm. Now, I would tend to believe a story like this if it wasn't coming from Joel. <laughs> and after listen, <laughs> listening to, like, your interview and reading some of his stuff that he's doing these days, yes, I love Captain Boots, yes, I love Heavy Bones, Joel Ellis has a fantastic voice, but the dude is out there, I think, you know? Yeah. I, I just, there's sort of something going on with that guy, and... So it's hard for me to believe this one. I can see this happening, because there are other, other kind of semi-documented stuff, like Ted Poley was in the band Prophet, and he claims that John Bon Jovi stole Wanna Dead or Alive from a Prophet song off the first album called Slow Down. Hmm. And it's similar, the, the, the guitar part is very similar to uh, the, 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 the acoustic intro to Dead or Alive. Within that song It's called Slow Down It's a it's good song But you know There's a lot of songs out there That are similar to one another So This one Is different In terms of terms of what Joel said Because he says He just straight up Took the song from him, Never to be found again But I don't know I guess it'll be uh, Settled in court
0: <laughs> Yeah And the thing with Joel Like you said Like you said He's Yeah I mean He, he doesn't have a lot of great things To say about Some, some people in the past I don't know if, if yeah. he remembers it the right way, but there was one part of the story that I read, and, and once again, I think this is him talking about it. But he said he knew somebody, yeah. he had a girlfriend, or knew some girl that was associated with the Bon Jovi camp, and they would just sit That's by. Yeah, they would sit by a piano and they would listen to all these um, demos, and then they would just take little parts that they liked, and then they would make them their own. I don't know, man. I, I can't imagine that they had trouble writing songs. <laughs> if anybody, they'd get Desmond Good, Child to help them write a song. So part of me just seems like this is complete bullshit. But then again, with Ted Poli, like I said, Ted Poli is a more of a credible source than Joel. But uh, who knows, man? You know, there could once again with all these stories that we're gonna go over. There could be a shred of truth somewhere in there. You know what I mean? Where do these stories come from? They have to come from something. I mean, or unless they're total bullshit. I don't know. But, you know, why that song? Why that song? Why would he say that song they stole from him? You know, I don't know.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly.
0: On the subject of Bon Jovi, this is all pretty much widely known, is that after 7,800 Fahrenheit, Alec Von Such didn't Mm -hmm. play on bass on any Bon Jovi albums. I mean, this this is the stories that are out there. Just search it. Search interviews Damn. with Hugh McDonald. He said he played the majority of the bass on every album after 7,800 Fahrenheit. What's no. up with that? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I don't want to shit on the guy because he's passed away, such, but but what's up with that? You know what I mean? Why? Why was he still in the band if he yeah. wasn't cutting it on the bass? I don't know.
1: Agreed. Yeah, I, I had read about that years ago. And I know he was kind of like their hired gun, little secret weapon. But I assume he was just like a helpful studio guy. That- yeah coached him along coached Alec along the way or something not to this extent but I mean I can see it like you remember in the there was a behind the music with Bon Jovi back in the day and they asked him about Alec John Sutton this was like man I was probably in like the year 2000 2001 mm-hmm. and even at that point he goes you know they like, go oh yeah have you talked to him then he goes you know what I haven't talked to him but I think about him a lot and that was the extent of it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you think about him a lot. Huh. You're playing in this guy with in the band with this guy for 20 years, and you guys were extremely successful. And you haven't talked to him, but you think about him a lot. Huh. Now, there's probably something else going on there. or yeah. some kind of controversy, or maybe they realize, eh, we don't need you. You can't play bass anyway. Yeah, it's, <laughs> who knows? It's, but you know, there's got to. I, I definitely see the truth in that one. Yeah,
0: you talked about stealing songs poison has actually gotten sued and lost uh in in a few in in a few instances so you know somebody once again you know this is the beauty of the internet man there's so much like back in the day when we were kids we didn't know the stuff you know what i mean i didn't know who easy i know easy action was you know what i mean so um i'm a kid getting
1: into glam model in
0: 1986 so I think "I Want Action" is a great song, and then you know you go listen to "We exactly. Go We Go Rocking" by Easy Action with my boy uh, Key Marcello and Zinny Zan, and it is the same exactly, exact
1: course. What do you think? Oh my god, it, it couldn't be any more exact. Like it was feverish. And I, I had no idea about this whole debacle until a few years ago, and I went, hmm, I better check this out, because I heard of Easy Action, and they had, uh, you know, had a, the, yeah, Key Marcella and members of uh, uh, Shotgun Messiah and whatnot, and I clicked it on the video, and I went, oh, my God, that's like, that's about as blatant as, uh, same thing happened with Haley um, Lewis, with I Want A New Drug and the <laughs> Ghostbusters song. Ghostbusters. I mean, it, it's the exact same freaking thing this one is like holy shit like they just heard the song and said mine
0: then i this was now once again we talked about when preparing for this episode when you start searching for that stuff you start going deeper like there's other things that pop up in search engines and there is an early 80s band called kid rocker not kid rock kid rocker Mm -hmm. now check out kid rocker so basically i think uh, CC was either associated with them or tried out for the band in, in the early 80s, something like that. But they play, man, that same style that's on Look With the Cat Dragged In, very similar to the Pretty Boy Floyd style. And they have a couple cool songs on YouTube that you you can check out. And supposedly, what I have found no proof of this, but this is this is once again total rumor is that CC lifted talk dirty to me from these guys, that Riff. So is it true? I don't know. But if you listen to Kid Rocker. From what you can find on YouTube, you could say, yeah, it's very similar style, you know. So interesting. Who knows?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Crazy. Yeah, so that one is blatant. That and and it's stood up in court. <laughs> they yeah, lost. they lost. Yeah. So this this one was pretty
0: bad. <laughs> now this one is our might be our only uh, story of this, or or maybe maybe there's more, but this is be the first time we'll talk about like a love triangle, the romantic side of the drama. Ooh. And this is with Ricky Rocket and, and Richie Cotson. You know, I mean, you know, I remember kind of like hearing there was something there. Like, that's how we got kicked out of the band. But I really didn't know much about, about it beyond that. So I, I kind of looked into it a little bit. So it sounds like earlier, maybe in 93, um, Ricky Rocket's fiance left him. And then months later, they find out that now she's going out with Cotten. Now, did she leave him for Cotson? I don't know. I don't really even care to be honest with you. But, but this is where this is a, a move of betrayal, and they kick Cotten out of the band. So, I mean, I mean, like I said, look it up. There, I might not be saying it exactly right, but that's a basically what it is.
1: Oh yeah, and, and again to refer to the build behind the music back in the old days, the Brett. Brett talks all about this and says they found out what was going on and he claims they pulled the toy bus over, kicked his ass and threw him off the bus. <laughs> I
0: it remember was. that. Yeah, that, I do remember that. So, that's what he said. <laughs> a bit,
1: uh, yeah, a little bit of drama added to that one, a little flair added to that one, but hey, I deserved it. Yeah. So, adios. Even though he's a good musician and a great singer, oh, yeah. all that, but you, you know, you can't, you can't Preach that line. So. Yeah, that's kind of my, and it's kind of yeah. messed
0: up. Um, dude, I know you're huge into Death Leopard. You, what do you got? You got, must have something for Death Leopard. You got to, I know there's some conspiracies around these guys.
1: Oh, dude. Well, real quick. Can I just throw out, before we go into Death Leopard, yeah. even though I have a good one for them, another love triangle? Yeah. Flash uh, some, some rumor?
0: Yeah, let's hear it. When
1: we opened the door to that one, I thought, oh, okay. Do you remember back when Vince came out with Exposed? He came out with the video, Can't Have Your Cake? Yeah. And who was the star? Pamela Anderson. Right. And who, what, what was Vince up to back then? Humping everyone. Right. And he claims that he humped Pamela before Tommy, and Tommy freaking hated, hated that rumor. <laughs> <laughs> and tried to squash that one, especially because they were not the best of friends at that time when Tommy got with her, but Vince still claims that he, uh, He got paneled before Tommy, and that really pisses him off. So, you know, me being a big Vince supporter, I support that rumor.
0: (laughs) The crazy thing is, though, you know, when I read The Dirt, and I realized that, like, it was like... Tommy and Vince knew each other pretty much before any of the guys did, and they were, you know, they were oh, yeah. really chummy in high school. And then to think, like, how they pretty much got right into fisticuffs around, uh, you know, 1999, and and they really hated each other. Kind of weird, yeah. you know. And I know a lot can happen over the years to make people change, but I always thought that was kind of weird. Yeah. I always knew they didn't like each other, and, and that was a big thing. That once again, I, honestly, I didn't even think about talking about this, but supposedly. Vince sucker punched him Or something in the face Around this time And you know, this was the time When he was leaving the band Or something Do you, you remember that
1: Yeah I guess, Yeah yeah, I do I remember reading about that too Absolutely
0: Alright Yeah Dude yeah. you opened up The can of worms You had to say Motley Crue and, and I'm gonna just Put the one out there <laughs> Right now first That everybody Not everybody Maybe not every, Maybe people don't remember this Or if you're younger You don't remember this man But we gotta talk about The Nikki Six imposter Matthew Tripp Okay,
1: so. Oh, yeah. What a weird one that was. I
0: remember. Now, I remember this plain as day. I remember reading the magazine. It was Kerrang magazine. I remember being in a mall or something and reading this thing. And, you know, honestly, I have, I'll be honest, I have gone way down the wormhole with this over the past couple days trying to figure out what the real story was, because it's hard to find the actual Kerrang article. You can just find people talking Boom. about it and stuff. So basically, I'm going to just give you the high-level gist of it, is that Nikki Six was in a tragic car accident that put him either paralyzed or in a coma, and they needed a, a fill-in. So they get this guy, Matthew Tripp, and supposedly, I hear different stories. He was either in the band from 83 to 84, so some stories I hear that, that he, he was in the band then, and then other story said he was in the band from, like, 83 to 85. So whatever the story, yeah. he was in the band for, a, supposedly, for a certain amount of time. And he wrote some of their songs, right? So, mm, so well, he's got yeah. a whole laundry list of, of things that supposedly, you know, he wrote. And I guess the guy was kind of into some demonic stuff, and he says that it was originally called Shout With The Devil. I remember reading that mm-hmm. way back in the, in the day in Kerrang. Funny thing is, when you read the dirt, Nikki Six says the same thing that it was a new. The song was originally called "Shout with the Devil," and then when he got exactly when he got freaked out about all that stuff, they changed it. So that's weird how the trip thing uh, and, and Nikki Six's viewpoints kind of went together. So basically, you know, they're just try, you know he's just trying to say that you know that's what he did, and then he got kicked out of the band when Nikki Six was okay. But people have really dug deep into this one, you know, and. There's a lot of things out there, and I sent you one, and I'll put this out on Twitter once once we get this interview out there. Nikki does have some different looks when you go through the years. You know, if you look at him in '81, he has a very kind of like chiseled chin, very um you know oh, yeah. cubic almost, you know chiseled like a like a Batman chin or something like that you look at his chin yeah. around theater of pain it's very round now does that mean he just put on some weight on his face he was obviously doing a lot of drugs and drinking and stuff so could that be part of it and then um you look at him again around feel good and he's got that same chin again you know so you know you can look at there's a lot of inconsistencies and they even say with the back to this matthew trip thing they say there's a lot of inc- inconsistencies with height so Nikki for the most part, always has towered over Vince. But then when you look at them Mm -hmm. in Theater of Pain, they almost seem very close in height. That could be one guy's wearing heels, one guy's not. Um, another thing that's is they true. said that Matthew Tripp was basically broke. You know, he was just like a, a nut job, you know, loser. I hate to say that, but that's basically what it is. But he had the most expensive tattoos that were the exact replicas of Nikki Six, you know. And oh, even people that were close to him say they don't necessarily believe what he was saying, but the dude had a lot of stuff in his arsenal. He had he had a speeding ticket that was made out to his name but the car was registered to Mick Mars. That's just what, these are just weird claims. Somebody else claimed that um, different thing. He had a lot of pictures of uh, being backstage with the band and all kinds of stuff. So once again, the dude's probably a nut bar just trying to get some attention, but it sounds like there's there's some weird stuff out there, man, about Motley Crue it, it, with this whole story. So what do you think about it?
1: Yeah, were those pictures of him being backstage with the band, were they ever released or were they no. released? in the 80s or were they released now and they could have been photoshopped because it definitely wasn't happening then.
0: No. They, so I don't think I don't they don't know
1: about that. Then. Yeah. But then the other connection was the Nick Mars connection where he said that Nick was the one that contacted him yes. in like 82. Yes. Because that's when Mickey was supposed to have gotten in this accident. Yeah. But I don't think at that point anybody had the foresight. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they were just coming out with Two Fast for Love on, on Electra, and I don't think anybody was or seen Motley being what Motley turned into in 82. No. Other than, you know, a few a few insiders, but not to the extent that the uh, success they achieved. So that is the part of the story that kind of aced me out at the start of it because I was thinking, no, nah, if Nick recruited him in 82, there's no way that anybody would have thought that this needed to happen. They would have just disbanded. Yeah. Now, if this happened in '85 and it was like a Vince situation where Vince, let's say Vince was in jail for years, you know, that would have been the end of the crew, or they would have done the uh, a Vince version of this story. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that, I could maybe see. But at this point in time, it didn't happen for four or five years. You know, but I do get what you're saying in terms of Nikki's look Mm -hmm. because he went from his puppy dog faced in 81 to that, but he had the square jaw mm-hmm. to that real chiseled look in, in 89, 90. But, you know, like we talked about, I always attributed that to just getting off, off the dope and, and shedding the baby fat and Could getting a running the running every day and doing so that's some, <laughs> everything they were doing. So yeah, and, and Nicky looked great at that point, but I attributed that to just a healthier lifestyle. So I think this guy is, Probably full of
0: shit. Yeah. You know, and like I said, once again, if, if this is something that you remember checking out in, uh, you know, 88 when it came out in Kerrang! and you want to revisit the story... There's all kinds of crazy uh, talking stuff. And there's all, dude, there's so many articles that I found of people supposedly that worked for Doc McGee's office, you know, coming out with the, oh, yeah, we saw his name on contracts and stuff. You, you know, I said, maybe this guy, it could be one of those things, man, you know, where there's this one little thing, like he did this one little thing with Motley Crue and then he blew it up in, into, into something crazy or he never did anything yeah. and it was just a, a, a trying to get some notoriety. But once again, it's an interesting tale. Um, it makes for good conspiracy crew crew conspiracy you know that should be maybe they can
1: maybe they could do a book you know but
0: it, it makes for good fun
1: that's it exactly
0: alright so yeah. Ed, we don't have there's so much with crew but what about this one now as I research ghost players and all this stuff this also seems to be pretty well known I didn't know it that DJ Ashba played all the rhythms on Saints of Los Angeles had you ever heard that one before
1: I have heard that, and I don't know why that would have been. I mean, if Nick had gone the stadium tour in 2022, why couldn't he have played studio guitar to Saints of Los Angeles? And mm. what was that, 08 or something like that? Yeah. Y- you know, I-, I wonder that maybe he was really kind of just getting back in the swing of things. They did kind of dig him up out of the, the trenches of his. his Dark home to get him back in the band, when they kind of reunited. So maybe you know, maybe he was at that low point, and he wasn't on his meds, and he was broke and divorced and all this and that. But you mean know, Ashford was a hot, young guitar player playing in Mickey's other band, so maybe Mickey was like into his style more at that point.
0: How about this whole Sebastian Bach being offered the role in Motley Crue? So you know, we know yeah. I know that Stephen Chiro tried out. He he confirmed yeah, that in an interview. interview. Um Mark Torian, Mark Torine, I think that's mm-hmm. the way you're supposed to say it, but I have always said Torian. Um he what? he says that he did. Um so that's that's been out there. Or at least there was talks. whether he tried out, he was definitely being considered. But the one that Motley Crue denies to this day is that Sebastian Bach was was offered the role. Um, and Sebastian says, and I, I've never read his book, so I, I don't know you haven't probably either because you're not, you're not the biggest fan, but he no. says he <laughs> can, de- and, I, and once again, maybe he does this in his book. I, I should read the book so I know what the hell I'm talking about, but but he says he can detail this right down. You know, He knows he remembers the sandwich that Tommy Lee was eating when he got offered the job. Like he knows every detail. Um, this does not seem far-fetched to me, though. What do you
1: think? This one, I don't know, there's Skid Row is at the peak at this point. Like I don't, I don't see it happening, dude. Uh-huh. I don't know why anybody would lie about this. I mean, they are they were both humongous at that point. I don't know, man. This is one of those where it's hard for me to believe, but at the same time, why would both camps lie about it? Right. Just you know what I mean. Yeah. So this one I've always just been pretty much just confused by. I don't know what the hell had been going on there, but Sebastian was getting a little bit unhappy, as you could tell, with would unfolded, like, three years later, but I mean, like, 92, dude, like, Skid Row had a number one album at that point, like, there was, I just, I don't see it, I don't see him leaving, other than the fact that he was an incredible fanboy, because he was in his teens in the heyday, and, Uh you know, he was in his teens during the the time off, was humongous, and maybe it was his dream to be in that band, you know what I mean, so, who knows? Maybe he felt that he had the success he could achieve in Skid Row, and he wanted to move on to his heroes and be in that band. But
0: yeah.
1: dude, I don't know. This is a tough one for me to believe in Both from both camps.
0: Well, I look like at I it no this way. On that one. I look at it this way. I don't think, and I think the decision, I'm assuming what he's saying is that you know everybody was telling him he has a better shot in Skid Row because they were so big at the time. But I think for Motley Crue, yeah. That would have been a a no-brainer on a commercial. And I've said this before on my Twitter site and in different videos. I think commercially this would have been a slam dunk for Motley Crue. You know, it'd be almost like the Sammy Hagar thing with Van Halen. You're bringing in a known guy. You're bringing in a guy that's huge right now. You know what I mean? With a huge fan base. That would have been a commercial slam dunk. Uh, The Karabi thing, I know you're not a big fan of that album. I do like it. But, once again, he wasn't a household name and um, maybe that was part of it, why it didn't work. You know, Vince was a huge personality and a big piece of the band. So, I don't know, man. I, yeah. I think Crew had more to gain than at that point than Sebastian. But if Sebastian had the crystal ball and he knew what was coming, um, maybe he would have made the move. But once again, he you know, he was pr- kind of riding high on the success. He had no idea that it was all going to get pulled out from under him.
1: That's right, exactly.
0: Last yeah. one about Crew, man. So, This is another one. I remember reading this. I can't find a thing on it now, and I know why, because Blackie Lawless is about to put out a book. But he was uh, putting all kinds of journals out there on the Wasp Nation website, and he said that when he was in the band Sister, they had all kinds of pentagrams and all kinds of evil stage imagery, and they wanted to kind of get away from that and kind of do more of a shock rock thing is what they ended up doing with Wasp, and he sold all that shit to Nikki Six and Blackie says that, you know, that whatever was going on, it's just bad stuff, and you didn't want any part of, of that stuff anymore, and he feels that with Motley Crue kind of putting that out there the way they did, that that opened up some kind of darkness, and that has always plagued that band for their whole career, interesting point of view, that's all I'm going to say, interesting point of view.
1: Yeah, it is weird, I remember making, as part of the dirt, him talking about the the pentagram stuff going on, and over sticking to the ceiling yes and yes very freaky scary, very freaky yes scary stuff like that I, maybe I, I either forgot about or missed the part where he picked it all up from from jackie but you don't mess around with that kind of stuff man. Uh-huh.
0: no way man no way all right that's the
1: real deal they let's get into out, uh,
0: let's get into leopard uh i got one little tiny thing that i but you you're you're the man you t- what's what's so controversial about death leopard what do they got
1: Oh, dude. To me, Def is like such a class act band. They're like ACDC, man. They're like, the private, but you know, they're good guys. But one thing, and this is completely opinion. This is going to either piss people off or spread a rumor. But I'm not trying to do either. This has just strictly been my opinion for years. And that is, so they had Pete Willis on guitar mm-hmm. from their inception through um, the recording of Pyromania. And I believe... Phil Cullen came in and recorded their solo in photographs and some other guitar parts. But it was in the recording sessions for the massive pyromania that they decided to part ways with Pete Willis. And it pissed a lot of old-time fans off because he was responsible, along with Steve Clark, for the riffs on the first album, mm-hmm. through the night, and then High and Dry, which is regarded as you know one of the, the classic hard rock Death rapper albums before they became a little bit more polished. So in '82, during the recording session, they decided that they would dump Pete and bring Phil Collins in who they'd known from the band girl for years. And let's face it. Phil was a much better looking guy. He got along with the band very, very well and he played great. And I think, and this is like, again, I'm just saying my opinion, I think they kicked Pete out because he didn't have a look. Huh. I think they had a feeling that, that Death Leopard was about to pop and be enormous. You know, they had success with High and Dry, and they probably saw the writing on the wall with Pile and thought, okay, I'm not throwing out that they're going to have a Michael Jackson hard rock album with six or seven singles, and they're going to be humongous. You know, And they started off playing theaters on that tour and ended up dead, um Joe Robbie Stadium in San Diego headlining with Crocus and I think Motley actually opening. And, uh, you know, they were obviously huge. Uh-huh. And I really do think that they took a look at Pete and thought, nope, huh. we're going to gain that much more success with a good-looking dude that can play the shit out of the guy like Phil. Huh. And they brought him in for that reason. Now, here's the thing. No one ever has to say the truth in Death Leopard Correct. because they could stick to their story of, yeah, he drank too much. He yeah. was falling down drunk coming into the studio, which is probably true, but I'm sure the element of him not having the look probably assisted in that. And they said, perfect. Mm-hmm. This, is our, this is our opportunity. So I don't know, man. I'm, there's probably some people out there that agree, and there's probably some people out there that call me a big asshole for, for speaking <laughs> that and saying that. But I mean, hey, no one's ever got to see the truth, but might be there. That's my like one big conspiracy when it comes to this.
0: Maybe, maybe, and it's funny. As soon as you started talking about this, Pete Willis and everything, I remember I watched that cheesy movie that was on uh, VH1. Remember, they was oh, like, yeah. Yes. And actually, it wasn't really bad, but I, I do remember that. Like that was the story in there that he was just an alcoholic, and it was basically, Mm -hmm. you know, affecting the band, and that's why he got put out. So, but, you know, hey, like I said, that might have gave that extra push. Like, hey, this dude's a lot cooler. He's got a better look. He's not drunk 24-7. Let's get this guy out of here. Who the hell knows, man? You don't Mm -hmm. know.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: The only thing that I was finding on Death (laughs) Death Leopard was um, how they had basically an issue with Universal Records. And I don't think... um, they're alone with, with doing this or, or having issues. But it, basically, I was reading how they were kind of pissed off because they didn't think we're getting the right cut from Universal. So they basically bootlegged or, or re-recorded their own songs, basically, right? And just so they could get... um little piece of the pie because they weren't getting anything from like the digital platforms and they that's why like they re-recorded a lot of their hits so they could basically cash in and get some cash you ever heard that one before
1: i haven't but they they were holdouts for a long time on on spotify Uh they were one of the last huge bands to be on there and it was only a couple years ago that they decided to put their entire catalog and catalog on there and i mean made me happy but i know it doesn't make any artist too much money Mm-hmm. but i had never heard that
0: mm-hmm. yeah look that one up and uh and and if you notice a lot of bands have done the same thing kiss had done that re recorded a lot of their uh their classic songs and then when you when you notice uh twisted sister did it as well they redid we're not going to take it and the big thing was having songs in uh guitar hero and they, i always noticed that like mm-hmm. when my kids played guitar hero nine uh, nine times out of ten, it was a re-recorded version of the song. Alice Cooper redid "I'm 18. uh Twisted Sister redid "We're Not Going to Take It." And to the average kid who doesn't really know this music, they would never know. But I could tell that the you know these were re-recorded and they were good, but they weren't like the originals. You know, so
1: money yeah. thing, man. It comes even, down to money. I remember. I'm sorry. Yeah, I remember Dee talking about that in uh, some interviews. I think it was with Eddie Trunk actually about how. He, no matter what, was going to keep the rights to his songs, mm-hmm. even through the the low times in the 90s when he was back doing a 95 job and they were having a hard time making ends meet. He even said at that point that he could have sold the rights to his songs and financially gained, but man, it's really done him well ever since because his songs are in every commercial and every movie. Big time. So... That's a damn good idea, damn good choice he made. So
0: here's a real dark one, man, and um, I got to go back to an interview I did with um, Greg Chason of Badlands, and you know, basically just I asked him straight out, man, because I like Badlands. I'm like, why, why is Badlands not on Spotify? What's going on? Why, why can't I ever find any Badlands on there? he's like man I don't know you know we, we just we went against the grain we pissed off atlantic records and and they're just holding a, against us to this day so I'm like okay cool man Why, sure sounds good so and then i put the interview out that story hits headlines and then all of a sudden everybody's in the comments saying no man uh when when Ray Gillen had AIDS he deliberately infected others and all these families have lawsuits against his estate and Atlantic Records and I'm just like what the hell I read it it's I didn't know that you know what I mean and then once you go down that wormhole go to any message board this was just on the message boards on Metal Sludge um it's out there man this story won't go away what do you think
1: dude <laughs> I, I had never heard that until you kind of brought it up in the last couple of weeks and I did a little bit of research, but man, if that's true, I mean, I don't blame these record companies for right. holding these guys. I mean, if that's true, it, it, I hope it's not, obviously, mm-hmm. but I've never, I've never heard something like that before. That, yeah. that's, about as, that's about as low as it gets. And not knowing the guy, I certainly didn't, see that coming Mm -hmm. especially from the people that still speak pretty highly about him his his peers and other musicians so i hope that story is true and that there's some kind of business misfortune that went on and not something personal like that obviously right
0: right yeah you know and and like you can always get trolls that are going to throw that out there in the comments you know but like Mm -hmm. once again where's the proof um i guess when they put it out on rock candy records you know they re-release a lot of albums it got halted up for this reason supposedly but to me even after all these years let's let's just say that is true i don't you know once again i who knows i have no idea what benefit is there to not have the music out there because a there are other musicians and writers involved and b why can't that money be put toward a charity or something like to me like what good is this music doing just doing nothing michael jackson's music still out there all these i mean there's i mean once again there's a lot of allegations against him but his music's still out there so i don't know man yeah. it's kind of a head scratcher
1: yeah, that is a very bad one. <laughs> that's that's a pretty crappy rumor to have about you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a rumor.
0: All right, so this is my last one I got. And uh, once again, a lot of these things come to light during the, the, in, the this Internet age that we're in. When I was a kid, I had no idea. So I was looking at these pictures. I was looking at Striper. I don't know. Maybe I was trying to get pictures for a thumbnail or something I did. And I see this dude yeah. in the band Back in 86, you know, like back then they had like the set costumes like Tim Gaines was the race car driver and, uh, and and Oz Fox was the timekeeper and I don't even know what the other guys were, but whatever. They were wearing yellow and black. It was all working. But um, mm-hmm. there's this dude and it ain't Tim Gaines, right? So I'm like, what the hell yes. is this? And um, for a short period, he was replaced by Matt Hurick, okay? Don't know. The, the dude got replaced. And I guess another guy was a session player that played on the album. I guess in Michael Sweet's hmm. book, he, Tim Gaines just didn't have the right vibe for this album. And then, just by some strange coincidence, this other dude's out. Tim Gaines is back in, and he's on all the album art. You know, but once again, I. I wasn't reading inside of album uh, liner notes to this level. You know, maybe it says additional bass. That's the, co- that's the secret code word, right? Additional, additional drums, cozy yeah, ball. You exactly.
1: didn't, didn't know he played the whole yeah. damn album.
0: You know what I mean? So, so like, yeah. you know, somewhere on that album, it probably says additional bass, but yeah, Tim Gaines did not play on to how with the devil, but he did all the videos. He did the tour. Um, that one kind of blew my mind.
1: I never knew that. And, it seems like like a like a mid career shift like that is a pretty big deal, especially at that point when they're just kind of taking off and getting huge. Yeah. I never knew that. I'll have to go back and and look because I have that collection, all those old magazines. Yeah, maybe yeah. they snuck one in there, and, and maybe it's by accident or not.
0: <laughs> and then I'm not going to get too much into this story because I I don't who knows what's true or not. But you know, back to Tim Gaines, there's a lot of controversy that surrounds him in and out of this band. He's kind of been in and out a few different times. I think he was, when they regrouped, he wasn't there in the early 2000s. And then he just was out, whether they let him go, he quit, whatever. Um, And now the guy from Firehouse, Perry Richardson's in there. But, um, you know, he claims that, you know, the guys in Striper didn't like that he was getting a divorce, didn't like his new wife. They're saying it had nothing to do with that. They didn't, they just were set with him. And he went on a real tirade. Once again, I think I I did listen to a podcast uh, more recently with him, and he says he regrets a lot of the things he said. Don't know if it's true or not, but he basically came out and said that Michael Sweet lives kind of like the high life, makes crap loads of money off a of striper, and the other guys don't make shit. They're just kind of like session dudes, and, and they just kind of have beat up cars. And once again, I don't know if that's true, man, but th- this is the kind of stuff that it happens, you know, in bands. So.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I do follow Michael Sweet on social media, and it looks like he lives a good life. Uh-huh. And the other guys kind of just, just everyday jokes. Uh-huh. So yeah. I can see that happening. Well, there's there's one I want to put yeah. to bed, though. There's one, there's one big one. I want to put to bed, and that is the Bon Scott writing lyrics for Back in Black. Mm, okay, well. and I, I've never bought that rumor, because being, you know, like, you're not going to touch on Kiss, and this is as much as I'm going to touch on my boys in AC/DC. but as, as big of a fan as I am, and knowing both singers' songwriting styles and what their lyrics say and mean, I never picked up on that because Back in Black was different in every aspect than any Bon Scott ACBC album. So I never picked up on that. There was the rumor that um, Bon had said he, he'd come up with lyrics to You Shook Me On Night Long. And it was the girlfriend of Bon Scott at the time that claimed that one of the things that, that he says in the song is she had the sightless eyes is something that Bond would have said, and Hmm. she witnessed him writing it down. Hmm. Now, that song, I don't think so. I think this is all Brian Johnson, all Brian Johnson lyrics, and the only one is the title of Rock and Roll Ain't Noise Pollution, which Bond came up with, and the boys kept, and they used that as a song title, and that's it. And then Brian Johnson just put out his memoir, and it's a really cool book. I I picked it up already and in the book brian says i want to put this to bed i want to squash it i respect the shit out of bon scott i love him he did not write a single lyric for back in black Mm -hmm. it was all me i had like five weeks to do it and i knocked it all out nice so i want to put that one to bed and i do believe brian johnson and just being a fan i think that the lyrics are completely different than anything Bond Scott would have come up with, so hmm. that was a big ac one. Now we'll save our AC/DC and and Kiss the <laughs> episode for another time. Later part date.
0: two. <laughs> one last one that came to mind, and I should have mentioned this when Blackie Lawless came out. This one's kind of come up to light just in recent times. So obviously, a lot of guys in and out of a Wasp. You know, obviously Steve Riley, Johnny Rod. Uh, you know, you name it. A lot of guys in and out of Wasp. But one shitty thing that Chris Holmes claims is, and this kind of goes back to what I was thinking with Striper, you know, that sometimes this happens because somebody kind of takes control of the band and writes a lot of the songs. And when you write the songs, that kind of is the cash cow. But Chris says, you know, and I think if you look at some of the earlier albums, he has a few songwriting credits here or there. But when you look at the way the contract's set up, this is what Chris Holmes is stating Blackie's saying no that Chris Holmes is listed as a session player. He is not listed oh, wow. as a band member. He's not listed as a writer. And he says that because of the way he thought Blackie was looking out for him and Blackie put him in as a session player on the Wasp albums, he doesn't get shit off of uh, any kind of writing that he did or anything that he came up with. So, once again, is that just some... With all these stories, man, when come, people come out, are they just bitter because you know they got kicked out of the band or there's hard feelings or... Or is there some screw jobs that take place? Once again, that's that's well, the that, controversies that of Because Because
1: uh, Yeah, dude, because it makes sense, because I've always seen pictures and read about Blackie living the high life, and I'm going, dude, Wasp was big, but they weren't that big. It's mm-hmm. like, how is this guy affording the shit he affords yep. and living the life he lives and kind of recognized and touted as this like giant rock star when, yeah, that Wasp was pretty freaking big, but they were never. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but were they headliners? Like maybe for a couple of years?
0: Theaters? Yeah, small places, never any place huge, no.
1: Yeah, and like they didn't sell millions. Nope. So I can see if that were the case, contract wise, what little or to you know, semi pretty decent success they had, he would cash in on all of it. And that may be why he's living the life he lived yeah. and regarded as one of the more wealthy, famous ish rock stars out there. But man, that makes sense now that you're saying that because I have read and seen interviews with Chris Holmes and he ain't got them tearing it up either. So, <laughs> yeah, I see that one being true. <laughs> yeah. So, well, man. This was
0: good, you know, and I can't, I just can't wait to put this one out there. And I can't wait to all the people to jump in and say, oh, you, you forgot about this one. You got to hear about this one. And in reality, I'm, I want to hear what people have to say. I hope they pull out a few that, that we missed. And uh, like I said, you know, we're an hour in, and, and this is pretty much the cutoff. But, you know, you could go for, you know, like I said, if you threw Kiss in the mix or some of these other bands, you, you could go for hours. All right, man. Have a good one. Thanks as always.
1: Yeah, of course. Anytime.
0: Talk to you, buddy. Bye forget everything you heard in this episode try to go on and live a normal life rock on